right, my brothers, I'm headed out. I'm going to walk our goat. No, Espen, you can't walk the goat. The last time you walked the goat, it bit a man on the face, and father got into that huge lawsuit and lost the farm. The farm that you burned down previously. Come on, it'll be all right. I'm just going to walk in the forest for a little bit. <laughs> well, I feel I should also mention that that same goat got away, was taken in by a... Uh, a, a, a maybe problematic Protestant family in the colonies and whispered to the children causing mayhem amongst the family. That's right. You do remember the tale of Black Philip, do you not? That's just a myth. You worry too much. If anybody offers me food in the forest... I know not to accept it and to think before I act. Unlike the two of you, I had to save you from those witches before. <laughs> yes, but you took away our fantasy world that we were going to live in where we would be happily married and well-fed in the woods. Happily eating rats, you mean? That's right, Espen. But that same, that same wisdom of not accepting gifts from strangers, you also turned down the land grant that was given to us by the lords to rebuild our burned home. There was a relief fund in our insurance that you turned down. You threatened the, uh, the, you threatened the money man. But you know... It was an important symbol to the princess who I was macking on. She seemed to approve. As part of the hand-binding ritual at your wedding, you slipped and nearly choked yourself as it formed a noose. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but without that, we would have never gotten to... <laughs> I Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my mythical co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, an old woman with her nose stuck in a tree stump, waiting for wayfarers to come by and help me so that I can give them some mischievous advice. And how's that working out for you? You getting a lot of visitors? No, I chose to be off of the footpath, and then a carriage path was carved through the forest a little ways away. So now nobody comes by on the footpath, and I'm I'm losing business because of that damn carriage path over there. This fucking infrastructure is driving me crazy. <laughs> People, you know, the walking path I hear has really been just falling out of. Uh, just out of whack. People are leaving trash all over the place. That's Everyone true. just wants the newest carriage. They're always buying a new carriage every year to keep up with the Petersons, I guess, because this is a Scandinavian movie. <laughs> Everyone is getting rid of the horse carriages, buying the new environmentally friendly electric torch carriages. Did you say torch carriage? <laughs> yeah, they're just... <laughs> Nobody wants to walk on their own two feet anymore. 
back in my day, <laughs> I would get one to two people coming up to me a day. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a week. <laughs> <laughs> now it's lucky if I get one every 10 years. When I was young, let me tell you, when I was young, horses used to cost half a pence to maintain. And you could afford a keep for only five shillings. Those were the days. <laughs> this inflation is killing us all. Mm -hmm. Now on a hot day, you'd have to wind up your horse again. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you wind your horse? Well, <laughs> depends on the model. <laughs> some you wind in the front. Some you wind. Well. Sounds dangerous. There have been some progresses. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, who are you? Oh, random voice. <laughs> I'm Jack Olander, the the rival to the Ash Lad. Oh. I'm the mischief maker. And I saw the problems with the monarchy. And Is that Joker makeup on your face? <laughs> some peasants just want to watch the kingdom burn. I mean, I, I am one of those peasants. You ever thought of that one, Mr. Ash Lad? <laughs> I can't wait for this new gritty reboot of the Ash Lad. Yeah. Instead of something that's goofy and whimsical. <laughs> when I was young, my parents were killed by me because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I mean, this is the Batman arc, right? Like, from Adam West to Michael Keaton to Christian Bale and Robert Pattinson. Like, it just gets grittier with every passing version. So, we had this old Ash Lad, this original Ash Lad, and then the next one's going to be the gritty Christopher Nolan reboot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That nobody seems to know how to move past. <laughs> This is our life now. This is our Batman. This is what we have to work with now. Yeah. We just open with the Ash Lad beating up his brothers. Oh my god. <laughs> and then setting his house Say on my fire. name! Say <laughs> my name! <laughs> Ash Lad. I like the version where all of his like mistakes that, like, burn down their house are just things that he starts doing to be edgier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As a way to spite his family, just burns the house and leaves. Espen, please don't! What did you say? What did you call me? <laughs> Why did you, you say name? that name? Why did you say that name? <laughs> don't call me Espen. Call me Ash, lad. <laughs> Trolls come out in the night, but I am the night. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, uh, guys, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about The Ash Lad in the Hall of the Mountain King, a movie that was voted on by our patrons. Yes. Yay! <laughs> if, if that wasn't clear enough from our very uh, succinct intro here. But you know what's cool? That our patrons contribute to our show. and if They you, make the decisions here. <laughs> if you want to have a say in some of the movies we watch, you could go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire. That's S-W-O-R-D-S-A-N-D 
S-A-T-I-R-E. Just put your podcast on half time speed so that you can understand that. <laughs> and could we also spell Patreon just for the listeners? Never. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and uh, you can check out the tiers that we have, uh, the perks that we offer with each one, and see what fits your budget. We would really appreciate your support, and you could help us keep the torches lit here at Castle Satire. Yeah, this wow. castle's getting a little drafty. We need some repairs. It's true. Uh, but at the same time, get some cool perks like voting on the movies we watch, some cool duck art. Bonus episodes. Yeah, like rewriting history and outtakes, of which there have probably already been a few. I can't imagine there's ever any outtakes from this show. <laughs> But anyways, like I said, this week we're going to be talking about The Ash Lad in the Hall of the Mountain King, which is a 2017 Norwegian film directed by Mikkel Brain Sondamas and starring a variety of young and upcoming Scandinavian actors. Smooth. But we should probably do a summary of this movie before we get into all those fun little details about it. So why don't we do that right now? All right, so The Ash Lad and The Hall of the Mountain King is based on a popular series of Norwegian folk tales about a character named the Ash Lad or the Askeladen, or my cat just knocked over a pile of things next to me. <laughs> that's not what it means, but that's what just happened. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. Norwegian is such a strange language. Or Cinderella. <laughs> Uh, I don't think they call him Cinderella, but I mean, I get where you're coming from. Okay, Cinder Lad. <laughs> I mean, it really just depends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, another one was Ascapot. Right. Just, this guy's got all kinds of names, but in the movie we're talking about, his name is Espen, and his family calls him the Ash Lad because he burned down their house. <laughs> but before that, there was a myth. And a legend? Perhaps some sort of fantastical story. Right. So in the beginning of the movie, there's a legend, right? Yeah. It's a like really all good fantasy movies. That's right. It's a really problematic legend about how the princess of the kingdom has to marry someone, probably a prince, by her 18th birthday. Otherwise, a big fucking troll is going to come and kidnap her and then marry her himself. What so the fuck, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a typical narrative of the patriarchy to me. I think you are correct. Not only the patriarchy, but the troll patriarchy. That's which, even worse! <laughs> honestly, when I see a lot of people defending the patriarchy online, they do seem like trolls. So maybe it's not so surprising. It's fitting. Very. Verily. But, <laughs> but so what do we expect to have happen here, right? We meet the princess and her shitty... <laughs> parents the king and queen boo by the way she refuses to get married based runs off into the woods like you do by the way her name is Kristen. her name is Kristen, which is not to be confused with christian who's another character later on in the film <laughs> yeah she runs into a young dumb and full of vigor man <laughs> named espen <laughs> Pieces out after having a quick uh, veg and fruit snack with him. <laughs> I thought you were going to say young, dumb, and full of whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good, too. <laughs> I, 
like that one. Young, yeah. dumb, and full of whimsy, whimsy is good. Um, <laughs> so Kristen, after having a snack with Espen, rides off into the woods, and wouldn't you know it, eventually gets captured by the fucking Troll King. And it was interesting because she didn't believe in this myth before that. <laughs> I mean, I think that's completely reasonable. Yeah. So then Espen goes back home, tries to tell his family what happened. I They're- swear, guys, I met a princess. They're just like, fuck you, dude. You never do any work around here and we have to shoulder the burden for you. But just not in those words. <laughs> I mean, that is the summation of what they say. That is the... Chelsea paraphrasing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the subtext, but yes, that too. Their dad comes out, sees that Espen gave away all of their food for the week to a princess who just ate it all. Classic nobility, am I right? Class struggle right here. Then uh, the father says they have to go hunting. Espen says he'll help. Father's like, please do nothing. Sit here and do nothing because everything you touch turns to shit yes if you sit at home and tend to the fire nothing can possibly go wrong they gave him a poker and access to fire what could be better what could possibly go wrong here it could have gone worse it could have i guess he could have killed his whole family (laughs) it could have been the beginning of midsomar another scandinavian movie yes kind of so the whole house burns down surprising no one (laughs) (laughs) when his family gets back home they're not even mad or that surprised they're They're just just... disappointed (laughs) (laughs) it's like i can't believe you did this and also i completely believe you did this he tries to blame it on a troll nobody believes him not even the audience but then the antagonist comes in, Prince Frederick, with his entourage. Who, I forgot to mention earlier, is the douchebag noble prince. Fiancé of Princess Kristen. Kristen. She, he, he is the reason that she ran off. Yeah. And I mean, again, fucking based. She took one look at him and was like, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to bounce. Uh, That's a big gnaw from me, she said. He's a blabbermouth prince. Frederick is, and he blabbers to them about how the king has a reward to bring the princess back home safely, a bunch of gold and land, and to marry her. And so once he leaves, the dad tells the brothers, you have to go find her. We need this money to rebuild our farm. Yo, uh, let's continue this patriarchal tradition and you go save the princess and she will totally marry you. That's, That's the way these things work. So they head off into the forest. The dad kind of kicks Espen out, calls him an ash lad. Really mean. <laughs> devastating. <laughs> Espen is devastated by Espen this. ends up following his two older brothers, Pear and Paul, and uh, finds all these cool objects along the way that he thinks are useful and helps creatures and his brothers <laughs> and gets cool magical artifacts. And he just, like, in the forest, he shines. His chaotic luck sense is meant for this mythical land. Espen's um, usefulness is inversely proportionate to how much fire is around him. (laughs) If there's nothing for him to burn, I I guess he could have burned down the forest, but without (laughs) access to fire, he doesn't. And he does okay. He saves his brothers from an, an enchantment by witches and from 
when they're captured later on by Prince Frederick, and eventually they find their way to the troll's cave where he did have the princess uh, captured. That's right. And this is when Espen really starts to shine as he big brains his way through this tunnel using the scraps of garbage he's collected along the way. Yeah. He's upcycling. That's right. He secures their exit route, secures the escape of not only the princess, but also the prince who tried to murder them. Yeah, Espen's a good dude. And by this point, his older brother who had been giving him shit the whole time Pear actually said, you know what, Espen, I'm going to trust you because I have no idea what I'm doing. In spite of all my cells of my body telling me not to, I'm going to trust you this time. Espen, my younger brother, your greatest strength is ruining things. And this is a myth uh, where this troll has a plan and you can just ruin it. I'm giving you free reign. I am setting the chaos out before me and I'm going to follow it. Yeah, exactly. And so Espen undoes all the trolls' work. They have to hop over the troll's tail because he's a sleepy troll having a bit of a troll sleep. Oh, relatable. He wasn't a realistic troll because I didn't see any dong hanging out there the whole time. It's true. Yeah, come on, movie. That's right. Uh, With all the men peeing in this movie, you'd think that the troll would just have a big old fucking hammock hanger there. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, but we settle for a tail. Hammock hanger? The tail's pretty good. I think the tail is implied as the penis. That's right, like Bumblebee from the Transformers movies. So they have to jump over the troll's tail penis. That. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but Prince Frederick fails his stealth check, trips over the troll penis, and shits his pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I don't actually remember the troll having a tail, so I'm pretty convinced it was just his dick. Yeah. <laughs> So the troll wakes up and is like, why did you shit on my penis? And then they have to run away. Right? And so they're running and they're like, oh, trolls die in sunlight. I know. And so everybody knows that. And so they're They've read The Hobbit. Right. And so the princess, I'm pretty sure, is like, oh, the sunrise is coming. You know, the sunrise is faster the higher up you are. And the peasants are like, that just makes sense. <laughs> it's a princess who said it. We yeah. have to gotta be her. true. <laughs> and so they run, they're scrambling up this mountain, which is made out of like gravel. So it's awful. Yeah. And the troll busts out his hole. He explodes his hole. <laughs> the troll's hole. Yes. <laughs> he starts climbing up after him. Frederick is shitting his pants in a hole because he's scared. Everyone is scrambling. It's you know how thing. the nobility be. That's right. He couldn't keep up with the, the rest of them. Yeah. They get to the top of the mountain and they're like, well, fuck, now what? And then uh, Espen stabs the troll in the leg. And the troll is like, oh, fuck, right? And starts knocking people around, killing people, but not, you know, wounding them. <laughs> you know, the other type of killing. The type you just of, hurt them real bad. The type of kill that's not permanent. <laughs> and then, uh, then, uh. He, I just uh, killed myself with a paper cut, guys. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And then the troll is about to kill his wife and, uh, Espen's brother just because the troll is upset. And then Espen uses a mirror to reflect the sun at the troll. Another piece of trash he picked up along the way. Stunning it long enough for the sun to kill it. 
and it gruesomely falls to the ground and shatters to a thousand pieces. After the princess kicks it. After the princess kicks it. Damn, she's got some mighty legs. And they're so lucky it didn't fall toward them. <laughs> and uh, it falls apart. The day is saved. Aspen's a hero. They return the princess and ask for just enough gold to help them save their farm. That's right. But they end up getting a little, uh, quite a bit extra beyond that. That's right. And now they're friends with the princess because they did not try to force her into something she was not comfortable with. True. It's true. And we get a little tidbit at the end. We see Prince Frederick eating one of the golden apples that enchants people in the forest uh, that the witches put out as a trap. And he's being led away by the witches that look like nymphs. It's a classic man trap. Yeah. And they also have tails. Yeah. That's right. We find out at the end that the witches have tails. I like to think he's resistant to magic somehow, and he's just into it. <laughs> Frederick's like, no, this is cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't mind eating rotten fruit and hanging out with these, I mean, I'm going to say hags, like they are classic, like, hag witches. Yeah. Yes. And it In their real form. It didn't really seem like they wanted to hurt anybody. They seriously just wanted a hubby. No, they're just looking for a, a real meat cute. Yeah. All right, well, that's basically what happens in the movie. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of the Ashlad colon in the Hall of the Mountain King. All right. <laughs> so, guys, we've already brought this up earlier but this story is based on a popular series of norwegian folklores starring this character of the ash lad and what's the deal with folklore <laughs> folk be saying it you know the the character uh we kind of realize like at the very beginning of the movie not being norwegian ourselves and not knowing these stories necessarily but we instantly picked up this connection to, say, for example, the tale of Cinderella. Yeah. Where uh, Espen is this young character who is disrespected by his family, who is basically called the same name as Cinderella, who means, like, the one who sits in the cinders. Well, Espen is the ash lad, or the one who sits in ashes. And ashes and cinders are pretty much the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, two older brothers who are kind of like the stepsisters from Cinderella. They don't respect um, Espen. And they treat him like he's a good for nothing. And the we get to know more about the brothers in this story than we do ever. The I feel like the stepsisters in Cinderella. And one of the brothers, I think Paul, is a little bit nicer to Espen than Pear is, the older brother. Yeah. Yeah, I think Paul is the or Paul is the middle brother and he yeah, definitely feels closer to Espen it seems like. He wants to give him a chance more. Mhm. Mm like when Espen catches up with them as they've left to go into the woods to start looking for Kristen, Pear's like, "No, fuck you. We don't want to deal with you. Go away." And Paul's like, "No, like he's our brother. We should let him come and like he can't do any harm." And in a w lot of ways, uh, Paul's right, because Espen ends up saving their asses a bunch of times. Yeah. I 
liked when he went to go help the old woman whose nose was stuck in the stump. Yeah, I mean, that's very yes. relatable. We've all been there. And it seemed to me like she was his, like, really weird, off-putting fairy godmother. That yeah. seems accurate. <laughs> she kind of sets him off on his call to adventure. Yeah, she gives him a magical map that is going to lead him to a special sword called the Tvegir. Which is the only sword sharp enough to cut through a troll's hide, apparently. Useful. Yeah. So those are like his glass slippers, I guess. <laughs> the sword and map. Yeah. He's just putting them on each of his feet. Is this masculinity versus femininity? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I guess, yeah, he's supposed to get a, a magical sword instead of magical slippers. <laughs> I always thought glass slippers seemed impractical anyways. That I makes know. sense. Like in the hit series Moon Knight with his glass slippers. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yes. Ouch. Literally. Yeah. If there's any imperfections in them, your feet are going to get shredded. Ooh, yeah. Don't even think about it. But here's the fun thing I like about uh, the map, I want to say. The map provides a very good lesson because this is a, fo a folk tale or a fairy tale. I'm still distracted by thinking about the glass slippers. <laughs> I'm oh. so sorry. I can't get it out of my mind now. Fuck, it's it's so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I the map provides a interesting lesson because, you know, fairy tales and folk tales are often for children. The only way to get this blank sheet of paper to reveal its map is to be polite to it. And ask politely for it to show you something. That's kind of nice. I like yeah. that. I like magical artifacts that have a personality. Even if its personality is strictly limited to be nice to me or I won't help you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very fitting for the hag figure that gives it to him. Yeah. Because uh, at the end of the film, when Prince Frederick is stumbling through the forest before he gets a uh, fate worse than a life without love... <laughs> Uh, he runs into this lone old woman in the woods with the long nose, the one who's friends with Espen. The one with her nose stuck in a stump. And when he is rude to her for one line of dialogue, she, she points him in the direction of the, of the deceptive hag coven. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you were mean to me even a little bit? Get fucked, idiot. <laughs> he was asking her for directions back to the kingdom. And she at first almost pointed him in the right direction, and then she was like, no, nah, it's that way. And he's so terrible at perception, he didn't like notice her pointing one way first and then another way second. He's just like, great, thank you. Insight is not Frederick's class skill. No. So but we're going to talk more about Frederick. He called her unattractive. Rude. Exactly. Yeah. And not necessarily true. <laughs> first off, lookism is wrong. Second, fuck Prince Frederick. He's a prince. I instantly hate him. And he's a douchebag. I mean, I already said he was a prince. Okay. <laughs> uh, Espen didn't care about any of that. He just saw somebody in need and wanted to help her. Yeah, Espen's a nice guy. It's a funny scene, though, because when he first shows up, she's like, here, take the axe. And he's like, okay, you want me to cut your nose off? She's like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? Use it to pry my nose out of the stump, you fucking idiot. <laughs> He's like, oh, right, right, right. right. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. really funny. I did not expect this movie to be funny. I heard that we were watching a Scandinavian folktale, and I was like... So you figured no humor. I expected yes. something grimdark. 
this was whimsical and humorous. <laughs> yes. This is the movie equivalent of cotton candy with an extra high sugar content. I just to point out some of the goofs. rainbow cotton candy. Yeah, that's right. Just to point out some of the goofs when he is at home watching the fire. They say just poke the ashes, keep the fire yes. alive. Right. He hears stomping out in the woods, right? And he's like, in the distance, mind you, not close by. He's like, oh, that's a troll. Now he's right. Yeah. Yes. Granted. He is right. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but like, like you might do if you were home by yourself. He takes the poker and he starts using it like a pretend sword, being like, I'd fuck up a troll if yeah. it came in here. What would I do if a troll walked in right now? Yeah, right? yeah and he's swinging it around and there was still a piece of cinder stuck to the end. A Espen lot of pieces of cinder. Like, he's flinging hot embers all over the place. Regardless, Espen <laughs> is all of us. That's right. Yeah. But I was, I was so spooked because when he first swings it around twice... Embers are flying fucking <laughs> everywhere. I'm like, whoa! So obviously this is the scene where Espen burns down his family's home. Yeah, but there's a comedic moment in that too. And I I kind of predicted it and I was, it, it paid off nicely though because I was like, yeah, this was good. So he sees one of the embers catch fire. Yes. And he goes to put it out and he uses like his dad's finest shirt or something right. like that. So that was a little bit of oh my gosh. comedy. And then- you hear a whooshing sound of something igniting behind him, and you can see a bright light illuminating him as if it's coming from behind him, and he's obviously, <laughs> yeah. or no, and he's like totally oblivious to this. And you it's know, classic that, film language. Yes, exactly. And you know he's going to turn around, and suddenly the whole house is going to be on fire. And it, he did, and it was actually kind of funny. It <laughs> was funny because the house was way more on fire than I expected it to be at that point. <laughs> like their house was made of kindling. Yeah, it's true. Uh, this might have all been the dad's fault. He bumped over a pot of oil as well, which is just the worst. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. So the next shot is him just outside trying to throw a bucket of water onto their house, which is a raging inferno. Yeah. <laughs> well, right before that, when he's inside and there's the huge fire on one wall, he has a cup of water and he just like splashes it on. Yeah. I wish it was like a cup of vodka that just like goes up in flames. <laughs> <and it doesn't>. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the tone of this film. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh, kind of one of the most sentimental moments happens right after this when the father comes home with the brothers and he's like sifting through the wreckage of the house and he finds a picture of a woman that we're pretty much... Uh, we assume that this is Espen's mom, the, the wife of the father, who is just called the father, I believe, yeah. in the film. Um, so we get a little bit of uh, backstory and then also another connection to, like, classic, uh, like, Cinderella stories where one of the parents is absent or deceased and the main character is being raised by a single parent. Yeah, true. And it seems like they love each other, but they are falling on hard times, and that's causing a lot of strife. Yeah, the father is no wicked stepmother, that's for sure. Yeah. He's he's an okay guy. He's just a little, I want to say a little overly harsh, but Espen did burn down the house, so it's a tough, it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> Another comedic moment is when 
just after this hard, difficult, emotional moment where he's yelling at Espen and calling him names and calls him an ash lad, and Espen's devastated and his father tells him to leave and never come back. That part's sad. It's sad, but then he walks away goes through the doorway of their ruined house when their walls are completely down and the doorway is the only thing standing. The dad goes back into the ruins through the door. Like, the door is one of the only parts that's still there. And he slams the door on Espen and walks inside. And you can still, like, see him from the other (laughs) ruined parts of the house. (laughs) That's really good. It's just... It's wild. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so this movie does a really good job of setting a comedic and fantastical tone. And like we said, it's not one of these like edgy retellings of a fairy tale by any stretch of the imagination. It is full force whimsy in your face at almost all times. Yeah. We should also touch on the fantastical part of the movie, which is the troll. Yes. Right. Agreed. It is a... The titular Mountain King. The description of the Mountain King describes him as a vile troll. Mean. Unnecessary. I thought that was a an interesting description. Yeah. Because what does vile mean in this context, right? It means not human. He, he I, never cleans his penis. That's part of it. It's true. <laughs> And that is pretty vile. <laughs> Don't be like the mountain king. <laughs> Clean your junk, people. <laughs> I think another thing that could be considered vile, and this might just be my interpretation, but he kidnaps a person. Yeah. For marriage. That's right. For explicit unconsensual marriage. Yeah. I don't think that is appropriate behavior. I think that you're right. And they're juxtaposing the troll against Prince Frederick, who's a human troll. True. That's Which right. one's worse? Yeah, because he wants to force the princess to marry him for her land and wealth. Now, let me point out something that complicates things a little bit. Maybe not complicates, but an interesting detail that I thought was both mythologically slash folklorically fitting and also <laughs> is an interesting juxtaposition to Prince Frederick. When we first see Kristen with the troll... The troll, like, pulls her out of the little prison she's in, basically. Yeah. And she basically screams at him, hey, I'm not going to marry you until I have a wedding dress. Yeah, she and outsmarts the tro- him. Yeah, and the troll's like, god damn it, and, like, tosses her back. It's like he he wants to force her into marriage, but he's still bound by certain cultural conventions. Yes, the <laughs> troll understands the importance of the wedding dress, which is a... European symbol of like opulence and marriage and such. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where it gets interesting, right? Because the troll, normally when you think of trolls, you just think of some big ugly bastard, right? <laughs> I usually think of online commenters. Right. Right. But this troll does not look like some fleshy, horrible creature. This is like a nature being. Yeah, it's right? like a rock it's troll. True. It's made of stone with moss growing on it, and it has trees coming out oh, of yeah. its back. So cool yeah. looking. It has like a tail. 
It's definitely like a nature elemental almost. Exactly. Yeah, he's like Keeper of the Forbidden Wild from my favorite game, Spirit Island. Exactly my point. I feel like oh, it's big some... Big husbando energy. Yeah. I feel like it's some sort of manifestation of the area, right? Yeah. Yes. Like a nature protector or something Exactly. Like that. And that's a great point because in Scandinavia especially, I mean, even to this day, I mean, going back thousands of years... Then even up to more modern times, people believe in nature spirits. And trolls are one of the nature spirits, besides elves, or nature beings, I should say, that are kind of like spirits that will protect a particular place. Yes. So he's like the protector of this mountain and forest surrounding it. That's right. And I have an idea, right? Okay. This is just some nature spirit, right? He's made of the terrain... He lives on the mountain, and he very much reflects the landscape, right? Why does he want to kidnap this princess to marry her? I think that his spirit, his being, right, his personality is tainted, quote-unquote, by the people living there, right? No, he's just, like, living down to their expectations, you're saying. Well, he's just a reflection of the region, and the region has this culture because of the people there the people are part of the region right of, part of like, his domain which was once probably all forest that's right the myth might have made the reality rather than oh, the opposite interesting yeah their belief in it changed his nature maybe yeah that's what that's, i think it could that's be. possible that's interesting now the juxtaposition i was going for is that during the film prince frederick basically admits to espen that he doesn't care about Kristen at all. He wants the power. He's probably just going to have her assassinated as soon as they get married once he's consolidated power with her kingdom. It is a weird threat he makes because yeah. Kristen, I'm oh, sorry, Frederick is just bad guy for bad badness sake. He's kind of one dimensional, but it's a child's folktale, so it kind of makes sense. But it is a strange threat because it is childlike. He says... So is Frederick. Yeah. He says, well, if we don't... Basically, to paraphrase it, if we don't get along, I can always have her assassinated. If she doesn't do what I want, basically. Fucking patriarchy. Yeah. So he doesn't outright say he's going to kill her, but knowing who she is, it's probably imminent. Right. (laughs) But the sad juxtaposition is... Towards the end of the film, inside of the Mountain King's lair, we see that he did get Kristen a wedding dress. We didn't get to talk about that before, and I'm glad you brought it up. I felt really kind of sad for the troll in that moment. Even though he kidnapped the princess, like, it was a beautiful, unusual dress with, like, cool vines coming around it. And it was, like, a beautiful white It was very nature Yeah. Yeah. And it looked homemade. Like, he had actually made it himself you, you think that the mountain king sewed this dress himself or is he, he wow some of the other nature spirits to help him i mean him. either way it's that's the thing like it's a myth right it's a folk tale but the quote-unquote monster of the movie is way more humanized than the actual villain of prince frederick it's true i don't think the troll is much more monstrous than the series of kingdoms which dot the world that we've inhabited. Agreed. Or the patriarchy itself. I feel if he was a human in this world, people would view him as much more acceptable, which is troubling. <laughs> yes, it is troubling. 
That's true. He would probably have his own kingdom. <laughs> he would be the emperor of Norway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... Uh, look at the story of Beauty and the Beast. I will. Which is a kidnap story, right? Absolutely. It is reminiscent of that uh, folktale as well. That's right. She just doesn't fall in love with the troll in this one, right? Yeah. But if the troll was secretly a cursed, very hot man... <laughs> you think Kristen would have been all over that shit? Is it okay <laughs> at that point? Because people think Beauty and the Beast is okay. They're like, oh, he's sensitive. So it kind of is all right. I mean, I think a lot of people think Beauty and the Beast is problematic too. But yeah, it's I mean, true, like, but they're okay with it. Yeah, like <laughs> because Beast is hot. Talking yeah. about, like, and Jamie's making the point of the troll is humanized. Like, he tries to feed her too. Exactly. Even though he tries to give her something that is inedible to her. No, I just, that's true. He doesn't understand that. And that's the problem, is that the Mountain King doesn't know how problematic he is. <laughs> it's true. And I wanted to touch on that, too. He is not of human sentience. He's yes. not a human. He cannot talk. He roars. He he lacks the moral complexity that humans are capable of. But he can understand human speech. Yeah, it, it seems like, well, he's not a human, right? Right. Because uh, animals, to an extent, can understand human speech, but it's they can't true. talk. But he comprehends, like, concepts such as wedding dress. Exactly. So he has a sentience that is more complex than an animal. Yeah, definitely. It. It is sort of like an alien intelligence, right. even though that phrase does not mean what I've just used it to mean. Right, I know what you mean. Yeah. Right. Uh, unknowable, com like not completely comprehensible. Which is what makes me think that he originally did not have this human intelligence and that perhaps having so many people on the land is what made him this way, even though that much thought definitely did not go into the creation <laughs> of this story. That's my headcanon for this. I mean, it's good headcanon. But uh, give Toxic, get Toxic is why I think he is the way that he is. Yeah. We, we could rewrite this story because... And we may. Um, I accidentally wrote down in my notes that when Espen sets out on his quest, he's going to rescue the troll. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great um, Freudian slip on your part. Yeah. So maybe we could rewrite the story based around that idea. But I, I am interested in this idea. I understand that the troll sets out at the beginning of the story in this very villainous role. But we see a much more complex picture of the troll throughout the movie in that he is trying to accommodate Kristen and be a good provider yeah. in a weird way. It's it's um It's twisted by his nature of not understanding human society and mores but he is trying and it's pretty sad and tragic at the end of the movie when they just kill him because of what it accounts to a huge misunderstanding yeah it's true or could be viewed as a huge misunderstanding at least it is very bizarre because the troll like we said it does not have a strictly human intelligence it understands parts of marriage like wedding dress yes and that we but, are bonded somehow. Yes, and also kind of like this idea that there's an exchange that needs to happen. That's right. But like we've get, we've been given no indication that this is a romantic or sexual being. 
Right. So it doesn't what... seem like it's of a sexual nature at all. No. no. Marriage in this context seems to be a consolidation of power. Right. And also the troll is shown as a solitary creature. Yeah. So this seems to be some sort of like expansion of mentality into a pack sort of state <laughs> or a mating state. Because it just seems like he's providing for her, right? In a manner that, but he's like not allowing her to leave. Yes. So there's the idea that they are supposed to stick together. And I think that's like the extent of what it imagines marriage is supposed to be. <laughs> it seems like it. Although there's probably a subtext of you have to do what I say, given that the troll has taken away her autonomy and Frederick, the other marriage prospect, also is trying to take away her autonomy. Yeah, the sad reality is that in all these matters, Kristen is not sub not being given a choice, which is why I, the ending of the movie is interesting because her father says she doesn't have to marry somebody just based on his command. She is given a freedom that many women throughout the Middle Ages see going back before and coming up since have not had the autonomy to make those decisions. Yeah, he says that she will have the freedom to marry who she wants when she wants. And they generally, he, the king and queen genuinely seem to love her and are just happy to see her back home and they don't want to force her into anything. But am I incorrect in remembering this? Or does she say, or nobody at all? And yes. then the king's like, let's not push it. Yeah. So he's not totally becoming a progressive icon in this moment. But you get the idea that there's a lot of give and take in their relationship, and they're probably going to work something out because she's been raised to be independent and have autonomy, so she expects it. Yeah. It's a tragedy, and I'm way misusing that word, that we don't get to see more of Kristen and her perspective in this film. That could be another way we could rewrite it. Yeah. Maybe in the sequel, she gets a lot more time to shine. Possibly. I'm not sure if uh, the same character's in it or not, but she might be. I yeah. like that she and Espen seem to have an attraction to one another, but that they're also friends at the end. Yeah, and Espen doesn't seem the type who wants to, like, rescue her to get anything out of it. He seems to think that it is just the morally correct thing to save her. He is not really motivated by promises of marriage or riches or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, they became friends before he knew she was a princess, although briefly, and he didn't think it was right for her to be coerced in anything. And that was one of the main reasons why he started resisting against Prince Frederick's wishes. Yes. Because he just didn't think it was right the way he was talking about the princess. Uh, and so he just took a dislike to him. He has great perception and social observation skills, Espen does. Yes. He can read a room, for yeah. the most part. And a situation, and uh, find the truth behind it very easily. That's one of his strengths. That's true. That is definitely true. And uh, I would like to, I'd like to take us to the scene where they are ordering food at the inn. Please I do. I really want that, and mm -hmm. I'm ready for it. It touches upon uh, at least two themes I can think of. Nice. The theme of polite versus rude, right? Yes. Which yes. we've already mentioned a little bit. 
Manners and, and proper social behaviors. Right, and class struggle. Oh, yeah. Perfect. I love it. Wait, did you say class struggle? He said class struggle. Oh, epic. Where the hell did that music just come from? <laughs> it's kind of weird it cut us off like that. Well, yeah, a little rude since we're talking about manners, but almost lost my carriage of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh oh yeah, the inn. Yeah, yeah. So in this scene, we see the brothers coming in to the inn. In. In <laughs> into the end. I'm going in, right? <laughs> I'm in. Oh, that's the end saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the big gaping front door. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul is the one who actually leads them in there because he's just so hungry, and he is the one with money. True. He's the frugal brother. Who, he uh, saved it in his shoe. That's right. Shoe money. Classic shoe money. When they go in here, this is a place of peasants, right? <laughs> yeah. Working a, folk. Yeah. Working folk. A common folk place. Trades. A common house, as it were. Farmer, trades, farmer. <laughs> farmer, tradesman. <laughs> yes. Carpenter. Tinker, tailor, soldier, spy. <laughs> and Probably at least two of those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, probably at least three of those things. There's a barmaid. That's right. But there is also... And she's all three. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, now I want that spinoff movie. I would watch the barmaid spinoff in a fucking heartbeat, and you're about to find out why. Yes. However, not all is well in this inn, because Frederick and his goons are here. Yeah. The brothers sit down to enjoy themselves... And uh, Espen is showing the magic map that he got to his brothers, right? Laying out the plan, but some of Frederick's goons overhear the plan. They were very rude to the barmaid. Meanwhile, when Paul gave Espen the money to order the food, he went to the barmaid and was very polite. And he tipped her. That's right. Frederick. We at first were scared that they were giving Espen the money to buy the food, and we're like, oh, something bad is about to happen. He succeeded grandly <laughs> and with aplomb. That's right. Now, when Frederick is brought wine by the barmaid, he said it smells like farts. <laughs> and then he. In one of the greatest uh, moments in cinema history, via swords and satire. And then he. Drinks it, and he says it tastes like farts. Which implies, <laughs> of course, that Frederick eats a lot of ass. Yeah, he's, he knows very well. <laughs> he knows what farts taste like. The barmaid is not happy about this because they made that one. <laughs> and, and he's just being a dick. Yeah, he's a jerk about it, right? But then Espen is very nice. And when Frederick and his goons confront the brothers about the map, they say, give us that map, right? Yeah. And uh, his uh, the brothers are like, yeah, Espen, give him the map. Espen's like, fuck you, right? Which is great. Yeah. I was just thinking about what they ordered. Yes. They Do you got remember like what it was? 
three ciders or small beers. Yeah. Which is mixed with water. And they got three like hot puddings, sour cream puddings. Sour cream pudding. That's right. And three cinnamon buns. I was like paste. Yeah, <laughs> really, really great. Paul was so excited. I mean, I was excited to see them get the food. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was awesome. And uh, the scene where Frederick and his goons approach, I think, is actually really interesting. I agree. Because it establishes the motivations of the characters. The brothers are in it to get enough money to rebuild their house. Yeah. But they have this magic map. And when Frederick and his goons show up, Frederick says, hey, you've got that magic map? He drops a big sack of money on the table. He says, I'll pay for it right now. Right. Right. And the bro- the older brothers are like, heck yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah, give them the map. Well, yeah, because it's enough money to rebuild their farm and a lot more besides that. That's right. So they've well accomplished their goal and then some. But uh, Espen's not in it for the money. Yeah. Nope. He knows that without the map, he won't be able to help save Kristen. And that's what his main goal is. So, Not Christian, who is one of Frederick's henchmen, who is here in this bar scene threatening the brothers. The only reason that Frederick is a threat is because of his goonish entourage. Oh, yeah. Without them, he would be dead in the water. Has Dingo fucked. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when the offer is turned down, violence ensues, right? Brothers yes. versus goons. And it's a such an interesting scene to me because the peasants hop to the aid of the brothers. Well, before that, though, because when Frederick is threatening Espen and the brothers, the barmaid comes with their food. That's right. And it's like seeing this fight going on. She's a barmaid. She knows how to read a room, too. She understands social situations better than almost anybody. She goes right in between the two groups. She gets in between them. She puts down the plate of food and says, hey, be careful. This sour cream pudding is very hot. Somebody might get burned if this hot pudding touched their not flame retardant flesh <laughs> and Espen goes I think I understand what she's laying down and just belts Frederick in the face with a hot steaming bowl of sour cream pudding it's true but there was kind of a sad point right before that too when the brothers are arguing about whether giving him the map or not and Espen is trying to get them to shut the fuck up about the that they even have a map at all right yeah. but also Pear, the oldest brother, the one who seems to feel like he has the responsibility of the world on his shoulders, which I totally understand. <laughs> um, and isn't fair, but it's what happens. He says that basically, I'm going to paraphrase that he says like this is all above their pay grade, right? And that they should just return to the farm and get back to their lives. And basically, like they're not as good as the noble people, right? And it's a bit of class struggle commentary here. And Espen is arguing with them and saying it doesn't matter who they are. They they should do the right thing. Yes. The, the what is morally correct should be the same for peasants, tradesfolk or fucking nobles. And fuck those nobles for not understanding that. But, you know, food fight. 
Yeah. But so the food fight is this moment of class solidarity. Right. And I think that's the point Jack's getting at. That's right. But it is also not just a food fight as the goons are using weapon weapons. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And they fight involving food, but also swords and bolts. And a rolling pin, which is Espen's weapon, feels so fitting. Yes. That rolling pin was huge. It was an epic rolling pin. That's true. And uh, he's using it against a sword, which is very funny. And uh, and making it work. It's true. It's a solid piece of wood. But yeah, the peasants keep tossing Espen weapons like the rolling yeah. pin or their... They know, they understand class solidarity. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a scene where Frederick is like stepping over Espen that's pinned down on a table. And Espen has very wisely used the terrain to his advantage. It's yes. like, you True. stepped in it now, Frederick. <laughs> and Frederick's like, no, Espen, you stepped in it. And he's like, no, Frederick, you really stepped in it. And he <laughs> looks down and he's got his foot in like the kale salad of this ginormous buff guy. Yeah. <laughs> this peasant who's just trying to enjoy his delicious and nutritious kale salad. It's a super food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He stands up and he's so fucking tall. He is as tall as Frederick standing on the table while the peasant is standing on the ground. Yes. (laughs) And Frederick is just like, well, I guess I'm fucked now. Nice knowing you, living people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a good scene. I just like that one a lot. And... uh, it's pretty fun the way it is followed up where they're running away from the inn and it ha- the themes fall away, but it shows Espen's character a lot more when they are pushed to the edge of a cliff over a like lake and waterfall. Yeah. And they're like, give us the map where we kill you sort of thing. And Espen's like, let's jump. Yeah. <laughs> well, Espen says he goes back into their shared history because these are three brothers who are trying to escape from danger. He basically says, we've made a jump off of a death-defying height of a waterfall before. We can do it again now. And the brothers are like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And Espen's like, no, no, we'll be fine. And usually when Espen thinks something's going to be fine, he's right. It's It's true. true. I will say, after they made the jump, they make the jump. They are in a big fight still with amongst each other because the oldest brother is like okay well why are we even out here if we're not trying to get the money for our house what is the point of all this i really feel like you just ruined everything even worse than you already did right yeah and uh espen is trying to say i'm standing up for my friend i'm trying to defend the princess right And the older brother still doesn't understand. He's like, you're not going to be able to marry the princess, even though that's not the goal, right? Right. And uh, he says, give me the map, which is interesting because Espen really reluctantly does give it to him. That's right. Which I thought was interesting. I thought he was going to split off from the group, say, no, I'm the one with the map. I'm taking the responsibility. But he does give it to Pear. Yeah. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, I think that that goes back to the fact that Espen, for one, wants to trust and have a good relationship with his brothers. But for two, he also kind of knows that things work out. 
in the end for him. That's and right. even without the map, Espen is able to find the location through his combination of luck and cleverness. That's true. And he had seen the location of where the sword was in the swamp already. That's right. And giving the map to his brother did end up being a negative consequence because the brothers are kidnapped by Frederick and his goons and they tell Frederick how to use the map. They right. give up all the secrets like immediately. Yeah. And they don't want any part in this, though. But when Espen <laughs> finds them later and is captured, also, he looks at them like totally disappointed in them. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice role reversal there that, where Espen gets to be a little bit holier than that with them. <laughs> that is one of the reasons why when Pear recounts when he and Espen are in the tunnels together and he's saying... Espen, I've been too hard on you. You're actually really capable in these sort of situations more yeah. than I am. Mm -hmm. He's like, you got the sword. You didn't give up the information to them. We caved pretty much at every instance where you rose <laughs> to the occasion, right? Yeah. And uh, I love that scene. That's I do, too. I love that he finally realizes and acknowledges to his brother what his strengths are. And stops tearing him down and starts building him up. I thought that was a really great moment. Yeah. And like, it starts to heal some of their family wounds right then. Yeah, I mean, that is the fun part of this movie is how we do go through this really complex emotional journey of a family that is broken by probably the loss of their yeah. mother. They're still know, They're still grieving. healing from that. Yeah. yeah, and they have this scapegoat in... Espen that you know they don't for whatever reason who knows what could be the backstory here maybe Espen was the favorite of the mother and there's some resentment or something it's possible He's they they take baby. out a they yeah they take out a lot on Espen but throughout the course of these adventures they realize that he is a valuable member of their family yeah also in the beginning he does seem to get the easier jobs of like going into town to pick up food while his brothers are debarking logs and things like that <laughs> yeah jacking off trees he definitely that's right he definitely got the better job there definitely and then when he, he only failed yeah. at it because he was giving food to somebody that he thought was in need and he was trying to tell them about it and they didn't believe him yeah a little bit of a boy who cried wolf story. I guess so. Except Espen is being honest. That's right. It's just that his family is so entrenched in the mundane lifestyle that the amazing things that happen to Espen seem like fairy tales that he makes up in his head and they don't want to believe him. Yeah. It's true. And while it is polite and fun, the interaction that he has with the princess... He does spend a long time interacting with her. Not that it was necessarily a bad thing, but you can, like, empathize with the brothers when he yeah. comes back and they're like, No, yeah. You know, when you shirk your responsibilities, it means we have to do double the work, right? Yeah. True. And that was Pear saying that. And Paul was like, when he saw that. He uh, the only thing that made it back was a soggy potato in Espen's bag. He was like, but we've only had boiled turnip soup for a week. <laughs> yes. Hey, Paul is completely relatable. He has a very specific set of interests and they are food. And I think 
I get it. He's not even <laughs> mad at Espen. Paul's no, great. He's, he's just, disappointed. He's just in distress. He's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, so guys, we've we've uh, we've covered a lot here. There's one more thing I want to touch on and get your guys' thoughts before we move on to the next section, and that is how at the end of the movie, the father is kind of apologizing for the way he's treated Espen up to this point, and he says, "You're not an Ash lad," and Espen says, "No, I am the Ash lad." He embraces this title that was used to deride him earlier. Now he's like, "No, this is." a core part of my identity. What's going on here? It really struck me as a name that he kind of chose for himself. Well, it was given to him, but... But also it became, a, like you said, a part of his identity. It, it was a part of his heroic identity at that point because he was going by the Ash Lad when he was on his adventures and it kind of stuck, and it took on a different meaning for him. So he's rewriting the history of that name. <laughs> yeah, and it reminded me of words that people will change the meaning of to recapture it and change the meaning so that it becomes a source of strength rather than pain, like the word queer, where it used to be a derogatory term and sometimes still tries, people. some people still use it that way, but for the most part, it's been recast as a way to claim your identity if you feel that it fits for you. Right. That's right. And his father seemed to be very proud of him for that, where he's like testing it, where uh, he says, like, I'm the Ash Lad, right? And his father is like, Ash Lad. And he's like smiling. <laughs> yeah. and he's like. He's seeing how it feels, and he he's definitely seems like it fits. Like, he's he thinks it's so cool that his son has done this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that there is kind of a feeling of maybe empowerment and wish for fulfillment here, where Espen is getting to experience something that I think a lot of people would like to experience, which is their parent accepting them for who they are on their own terms and seeing it as a strength, whereas maybe in the past the parents saw it as a flaw in their character. Yeah, it also struck me as a chosen name somebody might take when they are changing their identity and they want to have some autonomy in creating that identity and taking on a new name can help people do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's like a, it's a title, an ascended title it feels like. Yes. Which is so cool. Yeah, yeah, reclaiming the meaning of it is a is a great moment that relates back to a lot of the other themes of the film about kind of finding yourself and accepting who you are and also not letting other people's perceptions about you define you as a person. Like, this movie ended up having a lot more serious and heartwarming themes than I expected it to have when we first set out to watch it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we've said a lot about the movie. I think we can probably head into the Smithy and give our reviews. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. 
Chelsea, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 Tvegviers? I do, Jamie. So my epic moment is when Espen is picking up knickknacks off the side of the road. And it is weird that there's just all kinds of random trash on the side of the footpath. I don't think it's that uncommon. <laughs> His brothers just trundle along the path, not noticing anything around them, just focused on their goal. Espen is observant. He sees everything around him, and he finds value in things that other people would discard. He's an upcycler. Yeah. He sees a boot by the side of the road, doesn't see an old boot. He sees a flower pot. Exactly. And he, he picks up a broken mirror, which we know saves the day later on. Yeah. He picks up a dead soldier's helmet, probably, and then uses it for a cooking pot. Epic. He picks up a bear skin, which he uses as a disguise. Yeah. At one point, he picks up a ball of yarn, which helps them escape the trolls lair, because it helps them keep their path clear. And when his brothers are being derisive about this behavior, he says, hey, you never know if it'll be useful, guys. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And I feel like that really encapsulates Espen's whole mood. Yep. He sees the beauty and usefulness in everything and isn't so ready to dismiss objects or other beings, for the most part, just because... They are different than him or not what are expected. So I think that's pretty cool. I'm going to give this movie 8 out of 10 Tvegirs because... Mythical troll killing swords. Exactly. Because I think it's done really well. I like the way they merge whimsy and comedy. And they as opposed to whimsy and tragedy, which would go off and they which go together more often. Uh, it's more like whimsy for whimsy's sake, which is what I've seen in other children's fantasy films, and it gets kind of tired, you know. And so having it be twisted into all these comedic moments was pretty refreshing for me, <laughs> and I enjoyed that. And I thought the costumes and the settings were all really cool. Oh, so nice. And the settings um, that all the shots were shot in were very beautiful, too, actually. So I thought it was very enjoyable to watch. Beautiful and Scandinavian and or Eastern European landscapes. Possibly Canadian, too, which I saw something about in the credits. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I'd definitely watch it again. Very nice. How about you, Jack? What about your epic moment or feature and then a rating from 1 to 10 troll-killing swords named Svegnir? Svegnir. I also, it's it's got to be, my epic moment has got to be Espen as well. And it, I think I'm going to have it be about his strengths and weaknesses, right? Ooh. Because he's a goofy guy. He's yeah. goofy. He's not necessarily a hard worker or anything like that but he's, no he's he's lazy by uh choice it seems like exactly and uh or maybe maybe not by choice as a fellow with add i see a lot of myself in this character that's okay. fair and uh <laughs> i really enjoyed seeing his strengths 
and his weaknesses. Like, he did goof around, and in order to be friendly, he gave away their food, and he burned their house down because he was messing around, which was very funny. Yeah. But then (laughs) he also really cares about his relationships. He goes on this quest partially to help his family make up for the mistake he made and to save his friend. He, like, really stands up for his principles to the point where he's nearly getting himself killed all the time. Yeah. And he's very clever. Like, you think of, like, not being hardworking in at least American societies associated, I think, with, like, unintelligence or not caring, right? And it's often framed as a moral failing. Exactly. Yeah. But Espen is a very moral character, very clever, and his strengths are acknowledged by his brothers later on, which is very awesome. In the end, they see the value that he has, and it's not in the mundane life that they've set for him so i don't know how he's going to get on after this movie but at least he really had time to shine as part of this adventure if i if i know espen everything's gonna work out just fine for him yeah i think so too there were um many anachronistic parts of this film version of the folktale much in the dialogue and also nonverbal cues people expected like shaking hands. Right. Um but I don't know how different this might be from the original folktale, but it seems to me like it was a choice on behalf of the filmmakers that Espen actually like you're saying, Jack, he is very moral in an anachronistic way for the setting he's in. Yes. He has the morality system of a modern person. Yeah. While everybody else around him, or most of the people around him, do not. He's an egalitarian socialist icon. Yes. And so, I think it's used to help us identify with him more. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's all true. Well, anyway, he's a good character, so... I'm really happy that the protagonist was such, like, a a varied guy that I was able to relate to very well. So, with that in consideration, the movie was just so fun, (laughs) right? It really is. Yeah. And there are parts of it which are like, of course they're problematic, it's set in a medieval society, right? And That's just the way things were back then? I suppose. (laughs) And, uh, well, it it is a story from our medieval times, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so some of the themes are going to be a little bit older, but I think the anachronistic approach was a really good idea, and uh, it's just so dang enjoyable. I think I'm going to probably give it, you know what, heck it, 10 out of 10. Oh, wow. Xavier's. That's right. (laughs) Wow. In the places where this movie has shortcomings, I don't think they actually detract there's nothing that I feel like needs to be cut from this film. If I, if anything, I would say it needs more of the princess. Agreed. Yeah. And maybe a little bit more explanation of the troll, but it is, it doesn't feel like there were a lot of elements to this film that were unwanted. I want more. So That's I'm really looking forward to watching this again. It made me feel good to watch it. 
I'm going to give it a 10 out of a 10. <laughs> Beautiful. What about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment and or feature? And rating out of 10. Svegvirs. Svegvirs. Yeah, I say it differently each time. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Jack. I think that my epic feature is probably going to be Paul, the middle brother. I think it would have been very easy for the filmmakers to simply have kind of two archetypes in the family. Espen, the kind of goofy, quote-unquote lazy main character who, like, has a very particular worldview, and then, like, the oppositional characters of his other family just being shitty to him. And Paul is a great remedy to that in that he doesn't see Espen in quite the same light that Pear and the father do. He is more willing to give Espen a chance. He is not just a jerk to him. He wants to include him when he can. And I think that that is a good choice. I think that breaking out of that classic, like, kind of nameless, faceless, evil stepsister Cinderella story approach was a good choice by the filmmakers where every character feels more fleshed out even if some of them are a bit caricature-y, like Frederick, who's just like evil for evil's sake, there's a lot of personalities that feel very distinct and feel motivated by their own interests and needs and wants in the world. And like I said earlier, like it's very relatable that Paul kind of views the world through the lens of food and kind of just wants to... He, he wants to achieve something like his brother and father hope for him to do, but... Really, he's just kind of happy to be the frugal one who saves up for the little things in life that make him happy. And I think that was a great choice. And I really enjoyed the character. Yeah, they they struggle along without food for a long time. And then when he sees the opportunity, he knows when to when to take when to seize it. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, on that note, I think I'm going to give this movie nine out of ten Svegnirs. Nice. Nice. I agree with you guys. It's really fun. Like Jack said, it's an absolute pleasure to watch. It exceeded my expectations by quite a bit. I didn't have a whole lot um, of knowledge about the movie going into it, but having no expectations was probably good because I didn't like go into it thinking there was going to be all whimsy or all dark and gritty. I just let the movie kind of wash over me and I could form opinions about it without a lot of extra ideas about what it was going to be like. And I feel like it did a good job of explaining kind of the mythology of the story of the Ash Lad without having known it myself. I don't know the original folk tales, but now I feel like I have a sense of like the type of stories they are. And I think the movie did a really good job of capturing that kind of folkloric feel with weird little moments like meeting the woman in the forest with her nose stuck in the tree and everything. And I'm like, oh, I bet these are elements that appear in these stories. Yeah, it really seems and, like it. And if they're not, then they totally fit into that whole folkloric worldview. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, 9 out of 10 Troll Killing Swords. That makes this a, a pretty highly rated movie on yeah. all of our parts. So you should probably go and give it a quick watch. And by quick, I mean uh, an hour and 45 minutes, because that's the length of the movie. Not bad at all. All right. Well, that'll do it for us here on another episode of Swords and Satire. 
As always, if you enjoyed this episode, you should probably follow us on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so that you can keep up with the show, see what we're watching, and check out the memes we make for every movie and show that we watch. We also have a website, guys. It's swordsandsatire.com. You can go over there if you want to learn more about us and get a sneak peek at some of our other episodes and find out about other things we do, one of which is who we're sponsored by, and that's our patrons. If you want to support the show, you could head over to patreon.com slash swordsandsatire and become a supporter of our show. We have a few different tiers to fit your budget, and each tier has some cool perks like we were saying before, like voting on a movie or bonus episodes. And we would just really appreciate it. And we also want to say thank you to all of our patrons. Thanks for making the dream work. (laughs) Yeah, we really appreciate you. But if you don't have the extra means to support us over on Patreon, another great way you can support the show is by telling your friends and family about us. That's right. And you don't have to burn your house down to travel and tell people about it. You can just tell people about it. Oh, thank God. If anything, you probably shouldn't burn your house down. I'm not advocating for that. That's entirely your decision. But please tell people. (laughs) Please. (laughs) For the love of God, do it. It's the only way for us to break the curse. Yeah. Hey, Chelsea, what are we going to be talking about next week? Oh, yeah, it's actually pretty cool. We're starting a new series that we're going to cover every other week for Satire TV, The Wheel of Time. Oh, my God. Whoa. Like a whole wheel of time? Like a cheese wheel? You can eat it bite by bite. Sweet. In in episode form. (laughs) I look forward to following each of these characters throughout the whole series. Me, too. Well, until then, Hail Hail Krom!